Okay, page 11 still. And uh, we did not get past uh, 212, I believe. Yeah, we, we, we need to start with uh, verse 13 uh, of Mark 2. Okay, we want to go ahead and read, read to 13 to 17. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, just one little note. That it's it's a minor detail, really, compared to what we're talking about. Um, you notice how this expression "scribes and Pharisees" occurs over and over. I think, especially in Mark, it's actually "scribes even Pharisees." Uh, the word the word the word "and" in in Greek can also mean "even" or "also." Scribes also Pharisees, or even Pharisees, and the, how a rabbi, Jewish rabbi, studying the New Testament put it, there were two terms for what we call the Pharisees. There was the term the scribes, and then there was the terms the Pharisees. And mm -hmm. the term the Pharisees was a derogatory term that people used who didn't like the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. um, the scribes was the one they chose, uh, the sulfurine, which is, I think, the Hebrew word for scribes. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So, so this is a, a little bit of background here. On, on who Jesus is addressing mm -hmm. and who's, who's encountering Jesus. And that's why my version has when some of the legal experts, because the scribes actually served as kind of like lawyers, not in the traditional sense that we have lawyers, but they were the, the experts of the law. My version says some of the legal experts from among the Pharisees, which is probably more accurate, mm -hmm. uh, a translation, mm -hmm. because it depicts this, this element of, you know, the Pharisees are these people that you know, pick in everything apart and, mm -hmm. and, and argue relentlessly about the law, and, and we don't like them. That's that term. The scribes is the, the elitist term of the legal experts who, mm -hmm. who uh, really know the law. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, that's all I want to say on that. <laughs> but... Uh, so, uh, the question, Jesus once again likens the plan of salvation to healing, mm -hmm. and he even goes so far as to introduce the concept of physician mm -hmm. in the text. I like the way my version has it, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. That's kind of a, a self-evident truth, uh, what we call a truism. So, is salvation primarily for God's sake or for our benefit? Salvation for God's sake or just 
for us. Now, did, did Jesus, I mean, in order for, it, traditionally we have said that in order for God to save us, Jesus had to die for our sins, and he would not save us without Jesus' death. That's traditionally how we've unpacked this. So is it for God's sake, or is it our sake? Well, I, I, I think, I, I think when, well, first of all, when I define salvation for me, it's like living a life with, with Jesus as, as the, the most important part of it. Not necessarily what happens after this life ends. Because like, I know what my life has been like when I've you know, tried to make Jesus my number one, and I know what it's been like when he hasn't been. And um, like, it's heaven enough. I mean, I, I, not that I don't want to be in heaven, but like that's a bonus. I know my life is better. Like I'm, you know, I have a foretaste of heaven here on this earth by having a a relationship with Jesus and getting to extend that and share it with others. So, 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 in a sense, you're saying salvation is Jesus Himself. Is is being in that intimate relationship with Him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. And and if that's the case, this isn't really about making it possible for God to save us. Mm-hmm. It rather is it possible that Jesus coming to this earth and dying for us is the only way God can save us? It's not to make it possible for God to save us, but rather this is the only way He can save us. Is for Him to do. I this. think it's the only way that's kind of played out. I think I think God could have come out with another plan, but that but that one worked out quite well. I mean, well, it, at least. It was the best of all plans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty clear. It says the wages of sin is death. Transgression of the law, penalty, death. But it, but it, the, is the, the, the wages God. the gift the of God? Of God. And, and I, w- I want to capitalize on that because it doesn't say the wages of God is death. Right. right. God isn't the one administering the death. It's sin that pays that wage. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's God who gives us the gift and the way out, which means that as we move closer and closer to really talking about atonement, and we won't really fully talk about it until we get to Romans, mm-hmm. um, but the closer we get to that, we're going to be asking these questions of who is having, who, who is having to change in this picture? Who is being made whole? And that's, thus their lives are, are transformed. It's it's us, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I think so. And, and, and to me, you know, in this story, the the, um, the scribes and Pharisees are are as much in need of transformation as as these publicans and you know drinkers and stuff like that. You know, they just don't realize their need. Kind of like the prodigal son story. You know, the one son that kind of had never left the father. The you know the end of the story. You know, the father's out pleading with him. You know, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so I think sometimes, like when we, when, you know, that was a problem for me when, like, growing up Adventist and Christian. You know, I was more that way than I thought I was, and so when I got a job after my MBA program, um, and I managed a bunch of construction guys that cussed like sailors, and I had a hard time trying to connect with them, and I wanted to, and then when I. Like I stopped being punitive when I when I stopped being punitive and said like you didn't come into work because you were over, over you know hung over and I'm going to write you up and this kind of stuff and like hey why do you feel the need to go out and get drunk on Thursday night and find out that they had you know their wife had left them or their, or their 
parent had abused them when they were a child or and just try to be a friend then that changed like because I was trying to be their you know be uh, a, a coach or a mentor instead of somebody judging them and um, it would and then it led me to like wow like um, and I saw them you know like they would have died for one another some of them you know what I mean like they had that love love for one another that like a lot of times as Christians we lack you know like you know if a friend of theirs was in trouble they they would literally lay down their life so I think that's a, a very good illustration of what Jesus is really talking about here mm-hmm. the, the, the ones that we classify as bad people or yeah. or or they're evildoers or they're sinners are the people that Jesus can next to and those of us who are have this this sense of entitlement and we have arrived and we are righteous we are the good people uh, Jesus can't get next to us when we have that attitude and so in a sense we're sicker I think you're right than the people Jesus can get next to mm-hmm. uh, the people that Jesus can get next to are vulnerable mm-hmm. they're they're more open and and they're all of the things they do that are that we look askance at mm-hmm. is simply to try to get help it's their cry for help it's their attempt to uh, kind of stop the pain yeah once again and, and again blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. um, we, it really comes back to that mm-hmm. uh, that, that the, the scribes uh, i.e. the Pharisees are in worse condition and, and Jesus is saying well since you feel that way that I shouldn't hobnob with these people therefore you don't need me Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Amen. That's for our benefit. Yeah. But you can also say it's for God's benefit too because well, obviously those he's able to save will be with him and he wants that exactly. so much. Exactly. That's how it benefits but, God. But in terms but of... In terms of the whole universe, they're questioning God. Okay, so is he really good? Yeah. You know, jury's still out. I don't know, maybe in their minds it's already settled. No. I would think it would be. But no, I don't think so. I, I think So in that sense, it is for yeah. God's benefit too. I mean, I, I the think, whole universe is crashing down yeah. if they think that Satan is the guy. You know, my wife and I have talked about this a number of times. Sometimes I actually get angry with God when I read the Old Testament. And, and it's because I haven't seen a perfect picture of God. When Jesus came, like the, old, the New Testament, I, mm, I love it. Because like if I, God is revealed and like you know sort of like you, you know I'm going to make you kill the people in this city or that city or whatever because you know it's like you you see a different side of God like we like see, we saw through a glass darkly now we see face to face you know now we understand what love is because of Jesus. Yeah, talk to your wife about what I presented in Kings and Conquests last quarter. Oh, okay. Uh, because uh, I I have come to terms with the Old Testament God and. Uh, he is like Jesus. He never intended that the Israelites go out and conquer other nations. He was planning to displace them by natural forces. Mm-hmm. That's true. And uh, so that was his that was his first plan. And what you have to do is read the Old Testament story mm-hmm. and start at the beginning of the story and see what God's first initial plan is, and then see how the people butcher it <laughs> as right. as you move through the story. And that's exactly what happens with the conquest. 
and there's more. But I, I don't want to digress yeah, too much right, today. Right, right. But but I've come to terms with it. And and the thing that I think we have to do is read the Old Testament in light of the New. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, and not absolutely. on a, not merely on its own terms. Another thing that does help is to understand the background of the Old Testament. How I mean, this is uh, annihilation of people was uh, practiced by the Canaanites. They started it before the Israelites. Uh, so the Israelites are just picking up on what was current custom mm-hmm. and implementing it. Yeah, the the questions about God in the Old Testament are huge mm-hmm. and extremely crucial to the future of everybody on this planet because they're the questions that are the whole world now is creeping towards. I mean, with the violence that is increasing and, and with uh, Islam, uh, particularly ISIS, uh, and what's happening in, in our world. Uh, if, we, if we Christians don't understand the Old Testament properly, we're going to behave just like ISIS. That's it's coming toward that. And, and some do? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's move. Uh, John, you want to read 23 mm-hmm. to 27. Okay. Mark, Mark 2 as well. Okay. 23 to 27. Right. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. I'm um, sorry. 18 to 23? Yes, I've skipped over that okay, okay. somehow. Okay. Uh, 18 to 23, okay. uh, 2, I think it is. Okay, 22. Okay, got it. Okay. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, Otherwise, a new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Okay, so what on earth does new wineskins versus old wineskins have to do with fasting? Or does it? Maybe Jesus is, is doing something different. Yeah, I gotta, I'm trying to think here. Yeah, <laughs> I... This is a puzzle. Yeah, yeah, it is. I personally don't think there's an overlapping connection. Mm-hmm. I think what Jesus is saying, if you don't get what I'm trying to tell you, it's because you're old, you're these old wineskins, and I have new wine. The old wineskins are the ones that fast, and 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 have their heads bowed and and uh, beat their chests so that God will uh, feel sorry for them and and uh, relent His anger. Um, but but I'm here revealing the Father, and He's He loves you, and I'm wanting to fill you with that. And and you're so busy fasting and doing your rituals that you have no room for me. And it's and if I were to pour my love into you, it would just pop you apart. Because you're old. Well, that, that's a great point. Because, you, know, you know, I know for me, and I think there's an analogy for us in the church too, you know, um, you know, instead of being like the church that knows the most, we should be focused on being the one that loves well, like Jesus did, you know, and not just, not just God above, but our fellow man beside us. We have 
we have such rich understanding of God at our at our fingertips. I mean, we have the possibility of it. We haven't utilized it. We haven't searched it out. But we have such a rich a rich understanding of God that we have no excuse for not loving other people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like God does. Mm-hmm. I love this metaphor of the wineskins because it helps me to understand the situations in the church where you have a little church and you have maybe one or two members that controls the whole church <laughs> and tyrannizes them um, and, and, die, and suffocates church. I mean, the, the church just starts dying and people start going elsewhere or stop coming mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they can't handle it. Uh, and, and this is becoming such a problem in the Adventist church that I think it's, I don't think anybody has been willing to really study that issue. It seems to me I, I, I was at a Lecture, all-day lecture that I was having to give uh, for pastors on ordination track in the Central California Conference last summer. Mm-hmm. And I brought this problem up. Mm-hmm. I said, you all know, I mean, because most of these were pastors of little churches in Central California. Mm-hmm. I said, you all know this problem. What do you do with it? How do you handle it? And uh, one, <laughs> one spoke up and called them terrorists. <laughs> Ter- terrorist as in T-A-R-E hyphen I-S-T. <laughs> yes. Ter- terrorists and wheat and terrors. Right, right, right. But terrorists, you know. And it has, of course, it's a pun on terrorism. Mm-hmm. And he said that wasn't original with him. He got it from another pastor that was older than he. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the conference officers who was in charge said raised his hand after I thought it was through that discussion and he said would you please solve this problem <laughs> he was he was desperate for an answer yeah. um, and I think I think of that in terms of the wineskins yeah. the old wineskin that just it has to be my way and if you put anything new in here I'm going to explode yeah. and I'm going to go out of the church I personally think in fact um my parents had a pastor once mm-hmm. uh, at the church they attended, and it was in the Central California Conference. And I don't think this conference is unique in terms of this right. kind of problem, but uh, he had a—he was a fresh breeze pastor uh, who preached really, I would say, very experientially based sermons mm-hmm. on Sabbath. And and every, and my parents just loved going to hear him. And an elderly man came up to him. And threatened to leave his congregation or threatened to leave the church. And I don't remember if he was, he was complaining about the music or, or anything, but he was threatening to leave and uh, the pastor tra- looked at him and said, go ahead, maybe it's better for you to do that. He didn't, probably because the pastor said that. Mm-hmm. But I, I sometimes think that it would be better for the people who are suffocating a church to leave than to, than, than to all the others to leave and they be the ones. Yeah, well, I, think you're, I think you're right. I think it's, you know, we, we find this like here with our young alumni versus our established alumni, you know, like 
we for, and not just here, but other schools too. You know, we talk to our alumni like when they're 23, 25 years old, like they're supposed to be wealthy already and supposed to give money back. Like, can we just get their ideas and their and like get their energy, you know, and their engagement, even their discontent from while they were here and like things they learned after they got out that like could make us better as an institution? And because if we really listen to them, the money will come later, you know. But we need their ideas and energy now. And um, I think of that in, in church too. Like you know, you know, you've got this moneyed aristocracy that controls the agenda, and they get to vote with their money. And and you know, you want to engage the youngsters, and and you, you you want them to give their time and their talent first, and the other stuff comes later. And while being respectful to the to the older folks that are different, I'm not talking about like you know everybody becoming right. a praise church, but because I know when I've been in, in churches like that, it's like hey, we need to at least sing one hymn. Right. Even if it's a contemporary arrangement, so people can identify with what we're what we're doing, but um, it's very troublesome. And, and you know, I see it here. Like people, we've got some people here that have been here too long. They're not happy here anymore. I hope if I ever get to that point that I'll leave because you know, it, you know, it's, it, it's not PC's job to make sure that it changes to conform to what's going to make me happy. It's my job to be a contributor here. So I pray for those people because I, I want them to be happy. But like I've even had conversations with like, like Monty Bubba, great person. I hated to see him go, smart man. But I think for Monty, that was a really good thing for him, you know, to, to go to Loma Linda. And, and I, think, I think he's happier than that. We've talked a few times since he's got down there. So like life doesn't end, you know, like we get, we, we get our blinders on like, oh, this is the only job I can ever have. And, you know, you know breath of fresh air sometimes to change venues. I think personally that this metaphor that Jesus uses could actually um, be almost a prophecy. Mm. That someday, I hope soon, God's going to start pouring that new wine into all the wineskins and the old ones are going to just burst, that's all. And that that new wine Mm -hmm. is going to be the latter rain where the character of God is fully revealed and fully Mm -hmm. understood. And I think that's maybe the thing that's going to help. Because our churches in North America, particularly our white churches, are dying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it demographic, the demographics look terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the average age in North American churches is, I believe, 50. Wow. Well, we look at the new kids that are going into theology, you know, or religion. They're predominantly Hispanic. And, and some African American or, or Caribbean or whatever. It's not. It's not a career of choice. Very, very, very. Yeah, no, no. And in fact, I wish it was more. And of course, this is coming from the kid that the I ones, started off theology. The, and I the, the, the other thing you have, you know, need to know, John, is that the ones, the Caucasians that are coming into ministry now, are very conservative. Uh, so, so there's there's nobody coming down. Uh, that's Caucasian, who is um, ha- has any kind of progressiveness of? I mean, they would the the generation, and this is this is a change from last year. The, la- the last year's class that graduated, uh, very. I, I was very proud of those guys, yeah. and and really pleased. Yeah, yeah um, right. And I knew that group pretty well because of Zachary. Zach, know, Zach. Alicia was my TA for three years, and you know I, I helped mm-hmm, do their wedding. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, yeah, that was um, a special group of kids. Yeah, they were, and and so what I'm what I'm seeing is a trend in the church where the church is shrinking in North America uh, and exploding elsewhere, uh, and and the 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 basic drift of the church is to uh, almost rank and file fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, where verbal inspiration and and uh, all the things that make for good healthy Calvinism, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's almost a and and this wow. is we're not alone in this shift. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the the Southern Baptist Convention, for example, mm-hmm. uh, historically was well, it was Baptist, mm-hmm. and Baptist is Arminian, uh, which is means free will, a guy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not so much emphasis on the sovereignty of God. Uh, and, and freedom of religion and, and those sorts of things. It's very Baptist concepts. And, and I would say the last 30, 40 years, the Southern Baptist Convention has really swung toward Calvinism. Mm-hmm. And that's, why, that's what led to uh, the rejection of women. as In other words, male headship theology became dominant. And, and because they were a democratic church instead of uh, like us, which we model more after the United States uh, Republic, uh, Republican kind of governance, uh, where there's a checks and balances, and, and you know it's not just free for all vote uh, that controls. Because they model more of the free for all vote, the masses of people voting were commandeered by the by the conservatives, and, and the conservatives were able to drive out of academia uh, all the Baptist colleges and universities. They were able to drive out all of anybody that they deemed liberal hmm. and, and, uh, and consequently uh, nailed the door shut on women in terms of... Well, you know, but like with, at the GC, that kind of... Similar thing. I mean, it yeah. wasn't representative of the church as a whole. The majority are women, and that we had like yeah. what about only about twenty percent of the delegates were women, and the preponderance of the delegates were over fifty. So that doesn't represent, you know, our young our young people were un, un, underrepresented. So I, I you know, I, I think we've got some serious issues here that really worry me, and. You know, here, here my wife is a religion major, and I don't think my wife cares about whether she's ever ordained or not. She's later in life. She just wants to serve Jesus. Mm-hmm. She doesn't mm-hmm. care. But I know my wife's heart, and like, I don't mean that in an arrogant way, because I would say that if she wasn't my wife. She's a person that, I don't know that anybody deserves to be ordained, but like, she's as deserving as any male that I know, you know, mm-hmm. as far as her commitment and love for Jesus. And like, I've got like, someone in my own family who doesn't think like, you know, thinks that just males should be ordained and not... And not females, and, and 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 this is her biological son, and like so that bothers me, you know. So so anyway, that doesn't mean I, I can't love people that have a different viewpoint than I do, but but it's just it, you know, I I, I, I wish we would kind of like like and it's and it's holding back our effectiveness as a church because you know like we're saying like okay half you know half of the over half the population can't. Well, there's a, a there's a recent Same study chance. that I read this week. I didn't get through all of it. It was a very long report. Yeah. You remember Alex? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Alex, good to see you, buddy. Dr. Nunez. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember Alex. Yeah. And uh, you remember there was this article uh, on pol- politics and sex. Uh, yeah. 
and it it had it was based on a study. I don't remember Pew study or what study, but it was based on a study where they demonstrated that how a society treats its women mm-hmm. determines how they whether it becomes a violent society or not. Interesting. I should try to get. I, I copied it to my Facebook page. I'll try to get it. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so, to me, that was very interesting because Ellen White makes the statement that unity is dependent on equality among mm-hmm. the people of God. And so, if we really want unity, the only way we can have it is if we make it equal in genders. I think that's a great point. And- that's what, you know, I know the message from our president is, you know, he wants us to be unified, like, you know, like, but I'm striving for harmony, you but, know, because... But, his, but there's, there's, uniformity <laughs> is one thing, yeah. but unity is quite another. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. But, but like, you know, um, yeah, I, I, so it bothers me, it bothers me when we got those issues there, because I don't well, see us trying, trying to address them. Back to our lesson. Yeah. Um, I think it's time to pour new wine into old leather wineskins. Mm-hmm. Won't that break them, though? <laughs> <laughs> and let the consequences be. Yeah. I think we pussyfoot too much. Mm-hmm. And we enable, we become enablers of, of the sickness in the church. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a sense of denial or helplessness that causes that? I think it's fear. Hmm. But Jesus, you know, that's, that's the nature of the fear. What, what are we afraid of? Someone, someone, church. someone raking us over the coals. Uh, someone uh, becoming embittered. Someone being, uh, I mean, you you hear people on Facebook talk about how uh, they make, they come out and they make really strong statements and they get blasted they get mm-hmm. and they get and it's 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 uh really very nasty mm-hmm. uh well, the world is getting very nasty i've had so. it happen to me like i, I posted yeah. like a george knight video where he's you know george knight he's like a, a ellen white scholar he loves <laughs> ellen white but he's pro women's ordination and i put that on my page and like i had a friend of mine from high school say well like you know, I'm you know I'm not respecting our our general conference president, and I'm supposed to be a shepherd, you know, because I'm a teacher at an Adventist school. You know, like like, and, and, and I'm not trying to be inflammatory. It's like like, you know, so it's it, it's it's, it's vitriol. But that's why like like I'm at the I, and I think part of like this thing about the fear, you know, we got to like if we if we're convicted, we can't fear for our jobs. Like I you know we've got to do what we think is right, and if we got to if we got to change jobs, so be it. You know, like I, I try, if God wants me to be here, I'm gonna be here, and and and, but I'm gonna say what, what my heart and my conviction. Uh, hopefully, it's coming from Him. You know, um, tells me to say. And if I don't have a job anymore, you know, okay, I'll go back to business. You know, I have something else. I have a rich background. My, uh, I watched as a teenager. Yeah, yeah. My father lose his job twice from denominational schools. Wow. And they were both both times unjustified, just mm. completely mm. nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, I was 13 the first time, 17 the second time. See, so you can imagine this is, this is kind of the frame of my, frame of reference of my teenage years. Well, then you go and, to PUC during the whole Ford thing. And no, I didn't. Right. I, I, oh, no, I was here, here before. Before. Came, okay. And I left, went to Andrews. But I 
came my, when I when I got my first denominational job teaching, mm-hmm. which was overseas. My parents congratulated me, and then they said, "We're really surprised that you are willing to work for the church after what mm-hmm. you've been through." Mm-hmm. Because neither one, well, at that time they were doing a self-supporting little grade school at, at Podunk Center, so to speak. <laughs> um, and and I said, "Yeah, I'm I'm willing to." But I lived in and for the first. I don't know how many years I lived in fear of losing my job, and I nearly did in the records office. Actually, that uh, my boss did not appreciate the fact that I was a woman training in, in theology or in biblical studies, preparing to teach, and wow. and he he tried to get rid of me. Mm. Wow! And uh, and then, so so for years and years and years, I just lived kind of from contract to contract, and. Maybe it's because I'm now counting down to retirement in the next eight years <laughs> that it no longer, to me, is such a big issue because I find it ironic. I totally expected to follow the footsteps of my dad. You know, I was just like, like father, like daughter, it's going to happen. I'm going to get fired. I totally expected that. And, and I've waited and waited for it to happen, and it hasn't happened. Well, I'm, I'm glad and and so, so I, what I think is, like you say, uh, to be fearless and to be proactive. Mm-hmm. If you trust in God, you're safer and better off than if you start trying to posture, yeah. uh, placate, uh, Act passive aggressive, and <laughs> uh, on right. all of those things. Right, right, if you right. are who you are, yeah. you know it's, it's safe. It, it's 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 sad because you know some of the things I see going on here and in other parts. It's it's, it's kind of Machiavellian, you know, like people hmm. are trying to sustain their power power base as opposed to trying to do what's right and being people of conviction. You know, and that bothers me. Like, I'd rather be here for one year and, and, and hope that I did a good job and change, you know, change some students' lives for the better, than be here for 20 years and like I'm kind of, oh, I got to hold back. You know, and I've got to filter everything I say because it, it might, I may lose my job over it. You know, so, uh, but yeah. I know there's two sides to, to that viewpoint. There are some people who say, well, you know, if you're diplomatic, you can get farther and make more changes than if you're not. But I think, I think in our society today, we're at a point where diplomacy is no longer viable, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, where we're speaking honestly is, is really a greater need. Well, I think you know, I, like for me, I said I can love somebody I don't that mean, I disagree I don't mean, with. Yeah, you know, right. I can love that person, and I and I try to. I don't like when I was like, you know, oh, you're a bad person. You like, you know, McGraw's father, wonderful person, but he he had a different viewpoint on women's ordination than than I do, or, or even you know, Paul does. But like, you know, he was a good person. He just was a different generation. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so I try to separate the two. But like that, just because I respect you and love you, doesn't mean I have to agree with you. No. And and I it, and not and not being necessarily uh, diploma using diplomacy uh, doesn't mean being nasty or right. or vitriolic mm-hmm. towards someone. And it, it, we we can always afford to be polite mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in our in our conversations with people. Absolutely, mm-hmm. uh, 
so that's not what I mean by diplomacy. By diplomacy, I mean uh, kind of currying people's favor and 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 manipulating things uh, in in a way that yeah, you know, kind of like politics, yeah. that kind of diplomacy. Well, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think you're not a politician, and, uh, and no, I'm not, <laughs> and, 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 and I'm not either. I mean, you know, and, and God bless, I guess, in some ways, the people that, that can be, but like it's, that's just not how I'm wired. You know, I I, I can't sleep at night. If I'm not being true to what my convictions are, um, so. yeah. Well, we need to close. We got a little derailed from the wine skin. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, good though. But um, it is. I think it's important that we apply these passages to our life. Salvation is not over here, and our real life is over here. Yeah. Salvation is all part of that, uh, and I think it's important that we uh, look at that. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that uh, you came to give us new wine and that we can become new wineskins to receive it. We pray for this. We pray for our church who desperately needs this. And we ask that you will accomplish what we cannot. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.